On a cold, rainy night in 1962, NBA great Wilt Chamberlain did something that up until that point no human being had ever done. He scored 100 points in a single NBA basketball game. Now, maybe you knew that, but I wonder if you knew that of those 100 points, 28 of them came from free throws. I bring that up because though Wilt Chamberlain was an unbelievable basketball player, he was a terrible, underscore terrible, free throw shooter. Going into that season, the 1961-62 season, the season that he had that infamous 100-point game, Chamberlain was shooting something like 40% from the free throw line. Too good of a player to shoot that terribly, and so something had to change, and so change it did. He changed the technique of his shot. Now, he didn't just bring an elbow in. He didn't just crouch a little more. No, rather than shooting overhand like every other, almost every other NBA player, he started shooting underhanded which is also known as the granny shot. Seven foot, one inch Wilt Chamberlain shot free throws with the granny shot. Now here's the thing. It worked. It worked. 28 of 32 in the 100-point game. It's still tied to this day. It's tied for the single-game record regular season amount of free throws made. He shot like 90% that game. But it wasn't just a game. It was the entire season. It was the only season The season that Wilt Chamberlain shot grainy style free throws, it was the only season that he ever shot over 60%. I I say only because here's the crazier thing. After that season, he never did it again. Never shot grainy style free throws again. He went back to his old method of shooting overhand, and it wasn't like he got any better. No, he just went back to being a terrible free throw shooter. Why? Well, this is what he says in his autobiography. He said, I felt silly shooting underhanded. I know I was wrong. I know some of the best foul shooters in history shot that way. I just couldn't do it. He, he says, I know I was wrong. I, I know that there's a better way. I, I see others doing it. I, I did it myself. I know that there's a better way, but I just couldn't do it. I didn't want to feel silly. I didn't want to feel stupid in front of my teammates, in front of my friends, in front of a watching world. See, for Wilt Chamberlain... Having the approval of other people was more important than having a higher free throw percentage. Now, I think that we can kind of empathize with that, right? Not just because the granny style free throw shot is pretty ridiculous, but because we know experientially that having the approval of other people, it's a powerful force in our lives. It's a powerful force in our lives. There was a study done a few years ago. Uh, some researchers got a bunch of college students together, and, and they, they, of course, ask a bunch of questions, and they published their summary statement in USA Today. This is what they said. Sex, booze, or money just can't compare with the jolt of self-esteem. Sex, booze, or money just can't compare with the jolt of self-esteem. This was their, their concluding statement, their, their summary of all this research. They got all these college students together, and they, they, they studied and asked questions, the things that they like, sex, alcohol, money, eating good food, spending time with friends. And what they said, nothing compared, nothing came close to these college students' desire for approval and praise. Nothing came close. Now, of course, it's not just college students, right? Uh, This is what Madonna said in Vanity Fair. She said, all of my will has always been to conquer some horrible feeling of inadequacy. I'm always struggling with that fear. My, My drive in life is from this horrible fear of being mediocre. And it's always pushing me, pushing me. 
Because even though I've become somebody, I still have to prove that I'm somebody. My struggle has never ended, and it probably never will. You see what she's saying there? Even though I've become somebody, even though I've, I've got all the celebrity that anyone could ever want, all the, all the money, all the status, I, I, I've become somebody, and yet I still, I've got to keep proving it. I feel like I've got to keep going and keep going and trying and trying. Why? Because nothing compares to the jolt. Nothing compares to the jolt of self-esteem. Nothing compares to the jolt of praise. Nothing compares to the jolt of approval. And so we chase and we chase and we chase to get it. And our struggle continues. Now I say we, I should say me, because if you let me be honest for a few minutes, this is my struggle. This isn't something that I'm just standing up here and saying to you at you. No, this is something that I'm saying first and foremost to myself. This is my struggle. Wanting the approval of other people is my struggle in my marriage, in my friendships, in my job. One of the things that, that I get to do around here is I get to help lead our college ministry. And, and one of the things that I get to do is, as, as helping lead our college ministry, I get to stand up on this stage on Tuesday nights. Hundreds of college students come through those doors, and we get to talk about Jesus. It's unbelievable. I, I love, I get to talk to college students about Jesus. But here's the thing, I haven't always loved that. Uh, not the Jesus part, the speaking part. I haven't always loved speaking in front of people. It, it, in fact, it used to terrify me. I, I, I wouldn't sleep well leading up to speaking engagements. I wouldn't eat the day of. I had no appetite. I, I'd work hours and hours trying to perfect words and sentences and paragraphs, and they were far from perfect, by the way. But I was working and working and working. The night that I'd, I'd have to speak, I'd, uh, the meeting would start and the music would play. I'd be in the back and I'd have my notes. I'm scratching things out. I'm writing things in. I'm working up to the very last moment that I've got to come out here and start talking and, and back then, I used to think that that was all a sign of my maturity. That was a sign of my, my spiritual progress. I, I had figured out, I, I just I work and work and work because I want to get it right. I want to get it right for God so that God could use me somehow, some way for his glory. And then I don't, rem- I don't know what it was, what was going on in my life at this specific moment, but I just remember there was a, a time where I realized, wait a second, Kyle, you're not doing a lot of that for God. You're doing it for, for yourself. I wasn't doing most of that for, for God. I was doing it for me. I, I was so worried about what I thought other people would think about me if I did well or if I didn't. I was so concerned with what other people thought of me. I had this unbelievable opportunity to stand here in front of hundreds of college students and, and point them to Jesus. Instead, what I was trying to do subconsciously, subtly, was say, look at me. Look at me. I mean, it sounds so ridiculous, doesn't it? I, I, I shared that with our college students a couple months ago, and I was just embarrassed then to tell them as I am to tell you, but it's true. I love the praise of people. I want people's approval, sometimes more than I want Jesus. And I wish, I wish, I wish, I wish I could say that that was an old thing, that was an old struggle, that that's not coming back. I've moved past it. I've grown up. I've gotten over it, but it's not true. I know my own heart. I know my own heart well enough to know that it's still a struggle. I still want the praise. I still want the approval of others, sometimes more than I want Jesus, if I'm honest. Now, my guess is the circumstances are, are different in your life, but I wonder if you can relate. 
If you can relate to this idea of, of, of wanting people's praise, people's approval, people's acceptance more than you want God's. I want to spend a little bit of time this morning looking at some passages in the Bible that, that talk about this problem. It is a problem. And if we don't see it as a problem, I think these verses will challenge us to help us to see it that way. And then we can ask, what do we do about it? I want to start in the book of Galatians, but let me set it up just a bit so we're not parachuting into it. Uh, Galatians is, is a letter. It's written by Paul, and he's writing to a group of, of young followers of Jesus. It's written just not long after Jesus' death and resurrection, 15, 20-ish years uh, after Jesus' death and resurrection. And Paul's writing to these young Christians in this Roman province of Galatia, and, and he's telling them uh, about Jesus, about who Jesus is, what it means to follow him, about the gospel. But one of the things you notice when you read the book of Galatians is, is that there seems to be this kind of rival group. It, we'll call them opponents of Paul, and, and they're teaching a contrary message. They're te- teaching a message that, that Paul says is actually no gospel at all. It's not good news. That, that gospel word just means good news. Paul says it's not good news at all. It's a, it's a distortion of the good news. It's a perversion of the good news. Now, of course, this rival group, they, they say, no, that's what Paul's doing. Paul's the one teaching a false false gospel. Paul's the one watering down the truth of of who God is and and what it means to follow God. Why? Because they said that Paul was a people pleaser. They said that Paul was, was, was just kind of doing all of this, was softening the truth of who God was because Paul just wanted this young crowd's praise. It doesn't exactly sit well with Paul. And so uh, this is what he says, picking up in verse 8. He says, but even if we or an angel from heaven should preach a gospel other than the one we preach to you, let them be under God's curse. As we've already said, I've already said it, I'm going to say it again. If anybody is preaching to you a gospel other than what you accepted, let them be under God's curse. So what Paul's saying here is is preach a false gospel, be cursed by God. Receive a false gospel, be cursed by God. How's that for watering down a message? Just to pander to a crowd, yeah? And then he goes on in the next half of the next verse. He says, am I trying to win the approval of human beings or of God? Am I trying to, to please people? See, this notion that, that, that Paul was being a, a people pleaser, it was ridiculous to him. That, that, that he was being a people pleaser, he's watering down the, the truth, the reality of who God is just to earn this young crowd's praise. It was ridiculous. Why? Because he knew something that I think we can learn from this. I think we need to learn from this morning. And it's this, that those two things are incompatible. Pleasing people and pleasing God don't fit together. It's why he says in the rest of this verse, he says, If I were trying to please people, I would not be a servant of Christ. If I were trying to please people, I wouldn't be a servant of Christ. In other words, what Paul's saying is is we can't faithfully follow Jesus and please people. They don't fit. They don't work. We can't do both at the same time. Can't faithfully follow Jesus and please people. Uh, John, in his gospel, uh, a different instance, he says this. He says, yet at the same time, many even among the leaders believed in Jesus. So what's happening in context is more and more people are starting to believe Jesus is more. More and more people are starting to believe that Jesus is who he really says he is. But because of the Pharisees, the religious leaders of the day, they would not openly acknowledge their faith for fear they'd be put out of the synagogue. For they loved human praise more than they loved praise from God. 
See, see, what John is saying is that there are people in Jesus' day that, that started to believe, leaders who started to believe that Jesus really was who he says he was, but they were afraid. They were afraid of the religious leaders of the day. They, they loved human praise more than they loved praise from God. I think this challenges us because I think what this is saying is that sometimes our love for people's praise over God's praise will hold us back from following Jesus publicly. It's one thing to follow Jesus privately. It's one thing to follow Jesus among my, my safe group of friends or, or maybe my safe family, but it's another to follow Jesus publicly. We, we can't do it when we love the praise of people more than we love the praise of God. Jesus himself, he takes it a step further back in John chapter 5. He says this, he's speaking to a group of people, and he says, how can you believe since you accept glory from one another? But do not seek the glory that comes from the only God. How can you believe? So some of us, because of our love for people, we, we kind of follow Jesus privately but not publicly. But Jesus says some of us, because we love people's praise more than God's praise, we can't actually believe Jesus is who he says he is at all. In other words, sometimes... Loving people's praise more than God's praise will inhibit our ability to believe Jesus at all. We won't really grow in our relationship with him. We won't really follow him. Those ideas, they're incompatible. They don't fit. Paul said it, John said it, Jesus said it. Now, if that's true, if that's true and the stakes really are that high, then I think we've got to sit and we've got to wrestle with, with the question, right? Is, is this me? As I take an honest look at my own life, am I living for the praise and, and love of people or, or the praise and love of God? Maybe a different question. How do we know? Sometimes I think this stuff in our lives, at least in my own, it's, it's obvious, but I think sometimes it's also sneaky. And so what I've noticed that I have to do is I just kind of have to set aside time in my day or time in my week or sometimes time in my month, and I've got a list of questions. Questions that I ask myself, sometimes all the questions, sometimes just a few, but, but I take these questions and I have to sit and I have to ask myself, Kyle, is this what's going on? Here are some of those questions. Maybe you can ask yourself, do you struggle with peer pressure? Do you struggle with peer pressure, making decisions, making choices based on what you think other people will think of you? Are you overcommitted? Meaning, is it, is it difficult for you to say no, even though wisdom tells you that you should? Do you overanalyze yourself? Do you constantly second-guess decisions that you're making? Constantly drag your free feet because you're afraid of what others are going to do, think, or say based on whatever it is you decide? Are you afraid of failure? Are, are you afraid of, of making a mistake because you don't want to look bad in front of other people? Do you get easily embarrassed? Are you afraid of rejection? Do you compare yourself to other people? Do, do you celebrate the success of others? Or, or if you're honest, do you kind of inwardly compete with them because, well, really you're just jealous of their success? Are you afraid of sharing your faith publicly? Are you afraid of sharing your faith? Again, it's easy, it's one thing to do it privately, but, but are we willing to follow Jesus in our job? Are we willing to follow Jesus in our, our unbelieving family around friends that don't believe? Are we willing to follow Jesus publicly? 
I won't presume to know the details of your life, but my guess, it's just a guess, is that somewhere on this list you answered yes, maybe many times. I, I certainly do. We want the jolt, right? We want the jolt that we get from people. The problem is, though, the jolt doesn't last. The jolt doesn't last. If anyone knows this, it's Taylor Swift. Uh, she talks about this in her documentary that she released last year, Miss Americana. Uh, she said this, pretty good. She said, when people decided that I was wicked and evil and conniving and not a good person, that was the one that I really couldn't bounce back from because my whole life was centered around it. We're people who get into this line of work because we wanted people to like us, because we were intrinsically insecure, because we liked the sound of people clapping, because it made us forget how much we felt like we're not good enough. And I've been doing this for 15 years, and it's just, I'm tired. It's a powerful scene in the, in, in the documentary. She's pretty honest. She's, she got into it because she's insecure. She got into it because she likes the sound of people clapping. She wants people to like her. And 15 years later, she's tired because she's chasing the jolt. And the jolt doesn't last. Herbert Swope, he said it like this. He said, I can't give you the formula for success, but I can give you the formula for failure, which is this. Try to please everybody. I can't give you the formula for success, but I can give you the formula for failure. Try to please everybody. You see, he knows it. Taylor Swift knows it. I think we know it. We can't. Chasing approval, chasing people, it's exhausting. It's exhausting. The jolt doesn't last, but we keep chasing. Why? Well, again, in my own life, Maybe this is true for you. In my own life, what I've realized, the longer I live, the reason why I chase people's praise, why I chase people's approval, why I want people's acceptance of me is because I've bought into a lie that Satan loves to tell me. Satan has been a liar from the beginning. He loves to lie, and he lies to me, and he says, Kyle, you're not enough. And because you're not enough, Kyle, you need to do more. You need to be better. You need to prove yourself. And for whatever reason, that lie sounds really true and I believe it, and I start chasing, and I start trying, and I start to try to do better, try to be more. I, I, I feel the need to constantly prove myself, and sometimes I get it, whatever it is, but it doesn't last, right? Because the jolt doesn't last, and so I got to keep going, and keep going, and keep going, and I get it. I'm tired. I'm tired. Maybe you're here this morning or watching online, and and you're tired. You didn't realize it was because of this, but, but you're tired. Satan has been whispering in your ear, you aren't enough. And because you're not enough, you've got to do more. You've got to be better. You've got to look better. You've got to have more stuff. You've got to prove yourself. And so you're trying and trying and trying and chasing and chasing and chasing, and it's not working. Or maybe it's working right now, but soon it won't work anymore, and you're going to have to try and chase again. See, see, we're trying, and we're trying, and we're trying. The jolt doesn't last. The jolt doesn't, of course we're exhausted. We're looking, for we're, we're looking to get from people what we can only truly and fully get from God. That's what God, God created us to get that from Him, not from other people. 
See, don't hear what I'm not saying. Wanting approval, wanting praise, wanting acceptance, that's not the problem. The problem is that we're looking for that approval in all the wrong places. We're looking for the approval in all the wrong places. Well, then how do we overcome that? How do we fight that? Well, again, what I've, what I've been doing lately in my own life is I've got to fight the lie with truth. I've got to fight Satan's lie. I've got to recognize it's a lie, and I've got to fight the lie with truth. That when Satan comes to me and says, Kyle, you're not enough, rather than, than going into, okay, then I've got to do more, I've got to be better, I've got to, I've got to prove myself. When Satan comes and tells me, Kyle, you're not enough, what I need to do is fight with the truth that says, you know what, I'm not enough, but I don't have to be because Jesus was on my behalf. I don't have to be enough because Jesus was on my behalf. See, Keith, in his sermon last week, he, he asked a question that I thought was a great question. He, he said, who do we want to be the king of our lives? Who do we want to be the king? Do, is, it, is it me? Is it, is it someone or something else? Is it Jesus? Here's the good news. If Jesus is the king of your life, you have God's full and complete favor and approval. God looks at you and says, with you, I'm well pleased because of Jesus. I want you to hear that. That's true of you. If Jesus is your king, God looks at you and says, with you, I am well pleased. There is nothing that, that you can do or say that will change that reality. There is nothing that anyone else can do or say that will change that reality. That is true. That is who you are, God says, because of Jesus. But that's not all he says. Because he also says this, God loves us with an everlasting love. He rejoices over us with singing. We're washed clean. We're forgiven. We're a new creation. We're righteous, a sweet aroma to God, co-heir with Christ, set apart for God's possession all because of Jesus. That's who we are. So when Satan comes at us with the lie that says we're not enough, we go to this truth. This is who we are. We don't have to be enough because Jesus was on our behalf and now this is true. One of my favorite psalms to reflect on is uh, Psalm 139. It's a little bit long, so bear with me. This is what the psalmist says. You have searched me, Lord, and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you, Lord, you know it completely. For you created my inmost being, you knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful, I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed body, all the days ordained for me. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. How precious to me are your thoughts, God. How vast is the sum of them. Were I to count them, they would outnumber the grains of sand. When I awake, I'm still with you. Music team, you guys can go ahead and come back. I just want to leave us this morning thinking about this. Who, who knows you like that? Who knows you like the psalmist in Psalm 139 describes? Knows everything about you. Everything you've done. 
Everything that you're doing, everything that you will do, who knows everything about you and still loves you like that, knows you like that, accepts you, approves of you. See, the Bible's answer is is Yahweh, the only true God, the one who made you, the one who chose you, the one who rescued you, the one who adopted you as sons and daughters, the one who called you, the one who's sending you out into the world to be a part of the story that he's telling so that you can live for Jesus and not the approval of other people. See, I know, I know, I know, because it's true in my own life, I know that it's difficult for us to believe. It's hard for us to believe, but Jesus is more than the approval of other people. Jesus is more than than your job title. Jesus is more than your boss's opinion of you. Jesus is more than your reputation. Jesus is more than the amount of followers you have on, on social media. Jesus is more than the changing trends in our culture. Why chase all of that when Jesus is more? Why chase it when Jesus is more? See, you don't have to be enough. You don't have to be enough because Jesus was enough on your behalf. Living for other people, chasing the jolts, it's exhausting. It doesn't last. So let's be a community of people. Let's be a church that is increasingly turning to Jesus, increasingly living for Jesus because it's in him that God is well pleased with us. It's in him that we have all the approval that we could ever want, that we could ever need. It's in Jesus. Amen.